Well, if you've been with us uh, over these last uh, three or, well, I can't remember every week, uh, three or five weeks, uh, we've been in a series in Exodus. If you haven't been with us, well, we've been looking at the deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt through the acts of God, through the plagues. And Alex brought us the message from chapter 10 of last, uh, last week of the dangers of a hard heart towards God and his commands. And he brought us uh, the question of free choice, of whether we follow Jesus and repent of our sins. Well, the title again for this particular sermon that Will has given us is taken from our passage in chapter 11 and repeats the message of hard hearts. So as I was thinking and praying about this and looking and reading the passage, I thought, well, perhaps we could uh, summarise the whole series that we've been looking at together by asking some questions. We could ask the questions, what does this tell us about the character of God's people? What does it tell us about humanity? What are we like as people, both today and the thousands of years ago when the Egyptians and Israelites lived? And what actually is God like according to this, these scriptures? Because we worship, if we follow Jesus, we say we worship the same God. And so let's, we're going to look at that. So firstly then, God's people. Well, I think from this, these passages in Exodus that we've seen, that we've seen that God's people are to be separated from the world in which they are found, whether that be the Egyptian world or whether that be our world. If you remember the story, the account we had, that uh, Joseph had gone down to uh, Egypt because of the problems of a shortage of food. When he'd arrived there, the pharaoh of the time had given him land to live on in a region called Goshen, and this region was separated from the Egyptians. However, that pharaoh died and another one came and replaced him, and we read in chapter 1, verse 8, that he hadn't known Joseph, and these people were seen in a very different light. The Israelites had multiplied greatly, and this new pharaoh thought they might become a threat to his authority and the security of his land. And so he set up this policy of infanticide, the killing of Israeli boys, to try and slow down the population growth. And he enslaved the people, so he had a cheap labour to build mighty buildings that proclaimed his importance and his Godhead. And we need to remember that these Egyptians worshipped many gods, the river Nile to name just one. And so the people of God, the people of God, the Israelites, were to be very different to the Egyptians. They lived in a separate environment, Goshen. They worshipped a different god, and of course they were enslaved. And as we've looked at these passages in front of us this, these mornings, we've seen that the effect of the plagues on them was different also. Because we read in chapter 11 this morning that the last plague, the killing of the firstborn, there was to be no crying, no wailing in Goshen. 
because none there would die. And we also read that after the third plague, the people of God weren't to be affected by the plague sent by God, who had made a distinction between the people and the Egyptians. And so we see here that the people of God were to be physically and spiritually separated. Yes, they were enslaved. They had a very hard working life. And things got worse as Pharaoh removed the straw from their break-making exercises. But we read that they worshipped a single God, which involved them having different ways of living. And as we read about these plagues, we see that there was a growing severity of them. So it's quite surprising that we read in chapter 11, verse 3, that the people and Moses were highly thought of by the Pharaoh's officials and the Egyptian people. God's people were looked upon with favour. And we see here that this was a part of God's plan and God's provision to enable the people of God to be provided for the future. Because it's because they were well thought of by the Egyptians that the Egyptians were prepared to give them golden positions which would equip them for the journey ahead through the desert areas. And so we see here then that God was providing for them. And there's a resonance here, isn't there? Went through the Bible that God's people are often well thought of. We see this in Acts chapter 2 with the new church. The crowd thought well of them. And so there's lessons from this Old Testament and lessons from the New Testament. Lessons that God's people are to be separated from the world, at least spiritually. We know that Jesus called his disciples out of the world and Jesus called his disciples after he left. And it's the same for us today. And if we're not separated from the world, if there's no difference between us and the world, then maybe we need to question our discipleship. So that's just a little about the people of God. But secondly, what about humanity? Us as human beings. What does this passage in chapter 11 tell us about that? And what do the preceding chapters tell us? Well, we read in Genesis that God created mankind in his own image. And this included mankind having free will and the opportunity to make choices. This is the privilege that we have and the price of being human. This is one of the things that makes us different between animals and us. And in making choices, we have the responsibility for these, recognising their moral values, which will influence our choices and influence the decisions we make. We've seen this recently in our country, haven't we, with the Brexit choice. Likewise in America, the Trump victory is going to have consequences, not only in America, but throughout the world. As choices are made, there's an obligation to live in the consequences of our action. A lesson that each child has to learn as they grow up. It's something that we're constantly telling them at school. There's consequences of the choices you make and the things you do. 
each personal choice that we make in life, whether that be for good or ill, goes to make us what we are, what our characters are, whether that be in the short term or the long time. Sometimes it takes a very long time in a series of choices to produce a fixed habit. Sometimes one choice is enough. Sometimes a prolonged series of choices still leaves the issue in question open. Choosing and habit formation is, the, is things that we all know about. We hear it so much about smoking, drinking, eating food, what we do with our lives. The saying is said that we know of, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, Reaper destiny comes to mind. Of course, what none of us knows is when the point of no return will be reached. None of us can say, one more sound choice and this good habit is permanently mine. Nor can we say, I can risk one more choice and still retain the freedom to give up this bad habit. Sadly, we can pass the point where freedom to change has been lost and still retain the illusion that I can give it up all at any time I want. Only God knows when this is going to happen to us. And the Bible claims because he is God, it is he who fixes that point in our lives. And we see this message again in Exodus with Pharaoh, who makes choices and has to live with the consequences. The Bible teaches us, that we are subject to God's judgment as well as mankind's judgment upon our choices. And of course, we often recognise this, don't we, in life, when we say that a person has made a poor choice or as a result of that choice they made at an earlier age, they have ended up in a certain situation. And of course, it's often a common theme within literature or films and love stories. I think recently of the series that's been on television on Sunday evenings, Poldark. Many choices were made by individuals and they had to live by the result of those choices. Well, in this account in Exodus that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, we can clearly see this with Pharaoh and the choices he makes with regards to God's instructions and the results of the plagues and the letting God's people go. We remember that in chapter 5, Pharaoh questions, who is God and why should I obey him? He claims not to know God. Through chapters 5 to 11 and the accounts of the plague, God gives Pharaoh the choice. Will he acknowledge who God is? Will he humble himself before God? Will he obey God's commands given through Moses? Will he act justly and actually repent of his actions and believe what God says, and acknowledge the one true God. Well, at any point within this journey with Moses, we need to remember that Pharaoh could have repented with a sincere heart and turned to God. He could have turned round his actions. The plagues that we've been reading of, sent by God, were like warning shots across the bows of Pharaoh's life. If Pharaoh had listened and acted, no other plagues would have followed. 
And so we can say that with every visitation of every plague, the wrath of God as seen in the plagues, however justly do, are within God's inexplicable mercy. The plagues were sent to reveal the God who sent them. And there's a pattern here that we read to Pharaoh's hardening of heart. It's in the connection with the earlier plagues that we're told that he hardened his heart. It's only in the latter stages, from the sixth play onwards, we're told that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we, of course, read of this in chapter 11, the forerunning of the last plague. And we can look at this in two ways with regards to Pharaoh's actions and heart. Pharaoh makes moral choices, whereby his heart becomes increasingly set in his ways. He committed more and more to the action of genocide with regard to Israel. And we can see it from God's perspective as a moral rule of the world. The point of no return had been reached and the hardness of his heart must now be judgmentally imposed upon him as the justly due consequences of what his own choices had made him. We see this in chapter 9, verse 34, which says this, When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. We read again, of course, of this in chapter 11, verse 10, when the, even the threat of the killing of the firstborn of the Egyptians and their animals, Pharaoh would not let the people go. His heart was hard towards God and his people. And so I believe that there's a lesson here for each one of us, and I include myself in this. God gives us choices to make in life. We have the freedom to make them for the good or the ill. We have the choices as to whether we accept God and his plan for salvation. Now, there are many examples of this in the Bible where people have the choice as to whether they believe God. Jesus was constantly presenting the fact that he was one with the Father. He had come to lead people into the kingdom. He offered the people the choice as to whether they believed in him and followed him. We see that with the calling of the disciples. He called, they followed. We see this with him when he met different people on his teaching round. Some followed him, some didn't. We think notably, of course, of the man who was crucified on the cross. Remember, there were two men that were crucified beside Jesus. One of them, at that last, very last minute, declared a faith in him. And Jesus promised that he would be in eternity with him. However, the lesson here is that the rejection of God's commands and will eventually leads to a hardening of our hearts. And it's the heart of man and his will and emotion that God is concerned about. Alex reminded of this, of, of this last week when he said to us, a large proportion of believers give their lives to Jesus when they were young, when their hearts were less hard. 
And that is evident the older we become, the more difficult it is to give our hearts to God. Let us be warned that all people have to make a decision concerning God's offer of salvation through Jesus. And also, let us be warned that even God's people, uh, even God's people can become hard-hearted, turning away from God's commands and will. We read of this in Psalm 95, which says this and warns us, do not harden your hearts. And the writer to Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 13, says this. Remember, the writer to Hebrews is writing to Christians. And he says this, And so as the Holy Spirit says today, If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation and I said, their hearts are always going astray. Their hearts have not known my ways. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Note, he's writing to Christians here. And it's a warning, isn't it, to all of us? It's a warning. We're still human. And Pharaoh shows us this nature of humanity's heart and the result of turning away from God's offer of salvation. But lastly, what else do we see from these passages in Exodus? Well, I think we see something of the nature of this God that we seek to follow and we seek to worship each day we come to church and in our lives daily. And there's quite a lot here in Exodus we see about this God. We see a God who, unlike the Egyptian gods and the gods of our ages, speaks to us. He's not silent. We read from chapters 3 through to chapters 11 that God speaks to Moses. He speaks from the burning bush. He addresses him as a person. And throughout these chapters, God speaks to Moses. Chapter 11, verse 1, God says to Moses, but I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and Egypt. God speaks and God provides ways for Moses to be able to obey his instructions. And through the Bible, we can be assured that God speaks to us his words, especially, of course, through the teaching of Jesus, who said that he spoke the words and did the deeds of his Father. And we have the promises in the New Testament, which states how the Holy Spirit will make known the voice of God for his people. But we also see here that we have a God who makes provision for his people. Look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 11. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the Israelites, resulting in them giving the Israelites silver and gold. But we also have a God who warns his people and then judges the people. Notably here, of course, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And we see that throughout these different plagues that God warns Pharaoh what will happen. And we see here that God isn't an unjust God. He doesn't just spring judgment upon the Egyptians. God clearly makes known to them what they have to do. So they have a choice 
and whether they obey or not. And so in verse 5 of our passage, we read of the judgment through the promised death of the firstborn. And despite the judgment, we see that God differentiates between those people that worship him and those that didn't. Because it says in verse 7, then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Israel and Egypt. But we also see here, I think through these chapters, we've got a God of immense power. A God who is in control of every possible resource and wanted to show this to unbelievers. Look how the plagues come from all the natural things of this world. The Nile River, the frogs, the gnats, the locusts, the darkness, the thunder and lightning and hail. And now, of course, the plague of death. And although some critics and theologians have stated that many of these plagues were natural, the river Nile turning red because of soil washed into it, the flies and the frogs, But what we see here, that God has the ability to control these events and the timings of them. The way that Moses was able to instigate and stop them for his purpose. And of course, with this last plague that we read, that God has the power to take life at any one particular time. And we are, of course, reminded here that in the New Testament, when Jesus states that he is one with the Father, and his miracle workings displays his command over the physical world, including illness, food, water, storms, and even the power to bring people back to life. And of course we see this again at the crucifixion, where God brings darkness into the middle of the day, and then the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And so in these accounts of plagues, we see a God having immense, irresistible power with total control of the whole field of human life, place, person and events. And this power was used to show the Egyptians who God is and what he sees and that all man's actions are to be judged. We read of this in Hebrew 4 verse 13 which says this, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There's no escape from God who sees all and judges all. As it says in chapter 9 of this Exodus, verse 16, God says through Moses to Pharaoh, but I have raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And so we see from these accounts the name and authority of this God. But we also see the God who chooses his people, the God who protects his people, the God who provides a way of salvation for them. Because this, this points in chapter 11, points us towards this final plague, the death of the firstborn sacrificed to gain freedom for the people of God. And we can take this as a picture that points us towards the death of God's firstborn, his son Jesus, who sacrificed his life on that cross for us to take the punishment for the world's sin. And it points us, doesn't it? It points us towards the God whose nature is to have compassion upon the sinner 
Also the God who's provided a way for the sinner to become free from the slavery of sin and who can have eternal life because they turn from their sin and believe that Jesus was a sacrifice for it. And so I'd like to finish to by reiterating the words that Alex closed with last week. We have a choice to make. Do we harden our hearts to God's calling, as seen in the life and death of Jesus? Do we truly believe in the nature of this God, this God who made a plan for the salvation of mankind, but also gave each one of us the choice to make in life? Do we follow Jesus, or do we go our own way? Do we submit to Jesus' death on the cross for our wrongdoing, or do we run our own lives? What a fantastic message. What a message that we can take out into our community. That this God of immense power offers each one of us, each person who's working on the streets, each friend, each colleague at work, each family member, he offers them the choice to worship and to give their hearts to Jesus who died to save them from their sins. It's a fantastic promise. And it's a fantastic thing that we can see in the Old Testament all those years ago, pointing towards Jesus' death on the cross for us. Amen.